God is good. All the time. Amen. Take your seats. Well, I'm going to be speaking on that subject that God is good all the time in a few moments' time. But before we do that, uh, we're going to hear Matt's going to sing us a song. I remember during the 80s when I used to go to the cinema and you always used to get the adverts that would go on the cinema. And my favorite advert during the 1980s was one where, well, it was a Nescafe advert. And they, uh, and they, they were in this uh, uh, sort of old Volkswagen Beetle. And they were driving right up to the coast, right up there by the sea. And it was raining and it was cloudy and uh, looking pretty miserable. And then what they'd do is they'd put the sort of uh, coffee warmer stick into the cigarette lighter and then they'd put it into the uh, cup with the Nescafe and then as they started to warm the coffee up, all the clouds would lift and that song would come on, I Can See Clearly Now. And some of the things that I'm going to be speaking to you about later on today is going to be about clouds that seem to obscure the goodness of God, but one day those clouds are going to lift and you'll be able to see him clearly. Let's welcome Matt as he comes. It's gonna be a bright, oh bright. 
sunshiny day. We say it's gonna be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. Give the Lord some glory. Hallelujah. Amen. It's good when we have a KT sing-along karaoke, isn't it? Eh? I can see you, you're going to be down the karaoke machines at Christmas, aren't you? <laughs> Amen. Well, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the fact that God is good and that all the time. Amen. Turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to the letter of James, chapter 1 and verse 16. James chapter 1 and verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, no shadow due to change. This verse is what we're talking about today. We're saying that God is good all of the time, and all of the time, God is good, and he never changes. But James has to speak this word because the people that he is writing to are going through severe pressures, terrible circumstances, and the dark clouds of difficulties have gathered over them, and it's like they can't see God shining through in any shape, way, or form. And there's a danger in this because they're beginning to doubt the goodness of God. And they were running to all kinds of fleshly methods to deal with their circumstances instead of trusting God through them. That's why at the beginning of this letter in verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials of different kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. They couldn't see a purpose in the trial. They couldn't see a destiny in the difficulty. And because of that, they were confused, they were frightened, they were disillusioned, they were doubting the goodness of God. But James says, wait a second, you have to understand that to every trial there's a purpose. To every test, there's an outcome. That God is at work in the difficult times as much as he is in the sunshine times. And because they were confused, he then said in verse 5, look, you're confused, you don't know what's going on. You're disorientated by the problem that has appeared in your life. What you need more than anything is wisdom. And then later on, he speaks about the fact that in verse 13... He says, don't blame God. One of the greatest dangers when we're facing adversities in our lives is that we begin to blame God. Why have you let this happen to me? Why have you let this happen to them? You're, why have, you, have I done something wrong? Have you changed in your attitude towards me? No, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Now, this is the theme of my book, and this is the last time we're going to mention it, but Shut Up and Show Me, um, a study of James, is addressing how to deal with the difficulties that come into your life, to understand their purpose, and to navigate through them to the glory of God and to your own victory. 
Now, I'm not getting any um, royalties from this book. The royalties from this book that we're selling today for £10 is going to buying Christmas presents for children in Romania who wouldn't have Christmas presents. So that's there for you in the foyer on the way out when you leave. Thank you. So back, back to this, though. Here we are, back at this verse, do not be deceived. What does he mean by that? Well, the Greek word for deception, do not be deceived, is the Greek word planetes, from which we get planet. And the word means to wander. And so James is saying, look, don't blame God, and don't wander from following God and his son when difficulties come to pass. Many times people will fall away from the truth because they don't know what to do in the difficulties that they're facing, and they blame God. He says, don't wander. Don't wander away from the truth, because every good gift... Do you know, every good gift in your life comes from God. Of all the rain that falls that makes the crop grows, that's the goodness of God. The goodness of God in your life, every breath you, 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 you are given is a gift from God. Your abilities come from God that cause you to have a job or a career. They come from God. I mean, if we sat back, and we will on Wednesday evening, and counted all the good things, from the smallest things to the biggest things in our lives, we would be amazed. You know, sometimes when you're in a difficult time, best thing you can do is start counting your blessings one by one, see what the Lord has done, and then you begin to get a little bit of a sense of perspective. Because when difficulties come, the first thing that flies out of your mind is a sense of perspective. I hope to bring that perspective to you today. And then he says, he's the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What is he referring to? Well, James has got in his mind the illustration of a sundial. You ever seen a sundial in a garden or a park? And that sundial can tell the time depending on the shifting and movements of the sun. From the morning when the sun dawns right to its setting, as long as there's no clouds in the way, it will shine upon that sundial. And that dial that's on the sundial will cast a shadow depending where the sun is, as it were, in the sky. The only time there is no shadow on that sundial is when the sun is at its zenith, when it's at its highest, when it's midday, it's the midday sun, and the sun is shining at its brightest, it's shining at its most, uh, at its warmest, and it is shining directly onto that sundial, and there is no shadow of turning at all in any way. And what James is saying is, that's what God is like. God is not like the sun that is cool in the dawn, warms up to midday, and then cools down into the evening. God is not like the sun that begins at dawn, and the light begins to shine brighter and brighter and brighter till the midday, and then after midday, the sun then shines less and less and less until dusk. God is not like that, James says. God, James says, and his goodness is shining 100% of the time with 100% of the power. He is at his midday all the time. God is good all the time. God is shining. That's where we get that great hymn from. 
great is thy faithfulness, is speaking about this passage and how God shines on the sundial with his full power. There's never any turning or shadow. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Repeat after me. God never changes. People change. Circumstances change. But God never changes. Romans 8 verse 28 gives us that passage that no matter what is going on in life, God never changes and his goodness is shining through. Romans 8 28. And we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So whatever we're going through, good times, bad times, God is working his work. When bad times come, God doesn't stop working. In fact, sometimes he increases his work. When good times come, God is working. God is always working in your life all the time because God is primarily a God of purpose. There is purpose in the trial. You know when a trial, a difficulty, or a challenge comes into your life, one of the most depressing things is we can't see the purpose in it. It seems like a purpose experience. Why would this sickness come into this life? What is the purpose of that? Why would this happen in my job? Why would this happen in my relationships? I can't see any purpose to this. This is wrong. This is bad. This is negative. There's just no value to it. No. God, although he may be obscured by this cloud at the moment, God is still shining. God is still working. Let's look at two biblical examples of this. Let's take Joseph, for example. I mean, at the beginning of Joseph's life as a young boy, God was good all the time. And he was going around saying, God is good all the time. Look at my new coat. Many colors. I've got the favor of my father. I'm one of the youngest in the household, but I am the apple of my daddy's eye. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good if your name's Joseph. And he's walking around. He gets a vision, a dream from God. And the dream tells him, do you know what? All your brothers and even your mum and dad, they're going to bow down to you, Joseph. And Joseph's going around, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. It didn't get any better than that. And that's true. Because then what happened was, his jealous brothers, you know the story, they grabbed him. They were about to put him to death. And they threw him in a pit And as he fell in the pit, they said, God is good all the time, Joseph. And Joseph thought, all the time? And then we know that he then was taken by slaves, and he was a slave in Potiphar's life, from being the apple of his father's eye, from having these incredible promises of greatness to being a slave in a household. Well, he made the best of it. Maybe there was purpose in it after all, but he couldn't see it at the time. And he began to rise, and there were traces, just traces of God's favor that were still abiding. And he began to rise in the household. Eventually, Joseph got to the place where everything was put into his hand by his master. He was master of the house until he got accused of raping the master's wife. Potiphar's wife tried it on. 
Joseph resisted. She grabbed his coat. He ran off. She accused him of rape. No one believed him. He was thrown into prison. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good in prison. Can you see, he didn't know what was going on. Where was God? God had left him in the pit, it seemed. God had left him in Potiphar's house, it seemed. God had set him up for victory and then knocked him down again and again. So it may have seemed. Even in the prison, there were traces of favor, and soon he was running the very prison he was in. And then he had dreams regarding two of the most important people in Pharaoh's household, the baker and the cupbearer. And he told them the dreams, and he was hoping that they would remember him. And they didn't, and he was again in the prison. But you know the story. Within a matter of moments, with, with, with a series of movements of God, Joseph found himself out of prison and answering the very dreams of Pharaoh, and bang, 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 just like that, he was wearing Pharaoh's ring, he was the most powerful man in Egypt, and he was going to save that nation and the nations around from seven years of famine. Not only that had he now become the most powerful man in Egypt, but right at the end, he, he was in his, in his uh, throne room, and then in comes his brothers. They didn't recognize him, he recognized them. And he was so overcome by the goodness of God in that moment that he had to walk out of his room into his inner chamber. He wept and wept and wept because of the goodness of God. The whole of the palace, including Pharaoh, thought, what's going on with him? He was overcome by the fact that God was good all the time, and all the time God was good. He embraced his brothers, and not only that, his very father, Jacob, who had spent decades in mourning. God is good all the time. What happened to my Joseph? And right at the end, they were reunited. And in Genesis 50, chapter 50, verse 19, looking back on it all, Joseph said to his brothers, do not fear, for I am, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. They meant it for evil. The devil means his work for evil, but God means it for good. God is not the author of evil, but he's so powerful that he can use evil actions to bring out good results. You can't lose when you're following God. Sooner or later, God's goodness will show itself. Think about Job, the second biblical character, and James refers to him in chapter 5. Now, Job, he was singing God is good all the time, and all the time God is good when he, had, uh, he was blessed in everything that he did. He had a big family. I mean, there was nothing he didn't have that wasn't a blessing. And then Satan decided he'd get in on the act. And God says, look at Job. There's no one that loves me more than Job. And Satan says, yeah, right. No wonder. He only loves you because the sun is shining in his circumstances. He's got everything he wants. Of course he loves you. And uh, God says, it's not like that at all. And Satan says, prove it. And God said, I will. Satan says, let me go and strike at his possessions. Let me bring some adversity in his life. He'll soon curse you. You know the story. Satan did it. And uh, he refused to curse God. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. 
If I receive good or if I receive evil, will I not still worship the Lord? And then Satan came back for a second try and said, skin for skin, let me afflict him physically and he will curse you. And so this terrible affliction came upon Job. Job did not know what was going on. He wasn't party to what was going on in the courts of heaven. He had no idea. He was just feeling the effects. Even his own wife said, curse God and die. In other words, God is not good and, uh, and curse him. He refused. Then you have tens and tens of chapters of Job. I don't know what's going on. I can't understand this. We had Job's comforter saying, it's your fault. You've done something wrong. You're to blame. And he says, oh, I don't know. I just, all I know is God is God. I don't understand what's happening to me. And then that beautiful phrase that, that, that just showed how much he believed ultimately in the goodness of God. Job said, though he slay me, I'll yet trust him. In other words, even if the evil of death visits me, I'll trust that that's not the end of the story. That even through death, God's goodness will eventually be manifest. This is why James chapter 5 uses him as an example and says in verse 10, James 5.10, as, uh, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of Job, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. For much of that book, Job was not aware in his circumstances of God's mercy and compassion, was he? He was aware of satanic attack. He was aware of sickness and loss. The clouds of adversity were heavy and dark over his life. Merciful, compassionate. Well, when you go to the end of the story, you've got Job saying, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand, but I trust you. And then God turns up. And what does God do? God talks about his providence Providence, the fact that God provides for all things in creation. Not, does, not only does God provide for all things in creation, but he governs all things in creation. He even set the limits of what Satan could do and could not do. He said, you can't take his life. God sets the limits to what we go through. I know, my friend, that sometimes we go through things and we say, I can't take it anymore. But the Bible says that God will never give you or put you in a circumstance that you won't be able to take with his help. And sometimes he knows we can take a little bit more than we think we can. And it's not in vain. And it's not purposeless. He's building character. He's building strength. He's building a track record of faith in your life. He's preparing you for a reward and he's preparing you for the victory that comes at the end of every trial. Amen. Amen. And he turns up and God says, who are you? I'm the one that provides for the cattle. I'm the one that provides for the lion. I'm the one that provides for the whale. I'm the one that sends the rain. I'm the one that sends the clouds. I'm the one that brings the sunshine. I'm the one that provides all these things and all these things are in my hand. And Job says, that's enough for me. And then he got the blessing. He got the blessing. He's our example. Now I'll come to my central illustration. 
We heard that wonderful song, I can see clearly now, the rain has gone, the clouds have lifted. But you know, we need to see with the eye of faith when it's raining in our lives and when it's cloudy. In fact, that's the most important time to see with the eyes of faith. And God is good all the time, and we looked at that illustration of the sundial. But problems, trials, challenges, these can appear in our lives like heavy, dark clouds obscuring the sun shining goodness of God. Now, if you think about clouds, you wake up in the morning and you step outside the door, and it is miserable. It's one of those miserable London days. And the clouds seem to be just a, a few feet above your head. It's miserable, it's cold, it's dark, and it's Monday morning. I'm preparing you for your week. But you know those clouds are temporary. Those clouds are always on the move, fast or slow. And there's different kinds of trials, different kinds of clouds that come. And these clouds, these clouds can be many things. They're, they're the problems that are obscuring the goodness of God in our lives. They can be the clouds of circumstances, and difficulties that come into your life. How could God allow this to happen to me? How could God allow that to happen to them? How can we be going through these things? Where's God in this? I thought that God was good. These clouds are obscuring his godness, and now we've got trust issues with God, because how could God let this happen? All these clouds can be fickle people, someone you relied on, turned on you. We've already said that circumstances change like the clouds. People change like the clouds, but God never changes. Sometimes it's just the clouds of being in a fallen world. How many of you know that we are living in a broken world? Nature's broken. Humanity's broken. Society bro is broken. There's nothing which that brokenness doesn't touch. You know, some people blame God. Say, how can you believe in God? I tell you, if, if God makes this world like he's made it right now, then, then he's not good. They're questioning the goodness of God. But let me tell you something. If you want to know who's to blame for this fallen earth, then all you have to do next time you pass a mirror is look into it. You're the culprit. I'm the culprit. Do you think that God created this world as it is? According to Genesis, when God created the world, everything was? Because God is good. And there was no sickness, there was no sin, there was no terrorism, there was no evil. It, it perfectly reflected the goodness of God. But then man and woman got in on the act. And our father and our mother plunged this world into cloudiness. Thank God Jesus came, born of a virgin, came to bring relief and healing and hope to all those that are in despair and forgiveness of sins and promise of a new world that one day his father would create. But you see, these clouds are temporary and they're shifting. But behind these clouds, God is ever shining. He is shining as brightly as ever. He is shining as warmly as ever. He has not changed. 
You know, if you ever take an airplane from, say, Heathrow, and it is a cloudy, terrible, miserable day, you get on that plane and you begin your journey, and as you take off, you're in the rain, you're in the clouds, and then you get through the clouds, and what happens when you get through that cloud, if it's, a, if it's, if it's daytime, all of a sudden you see the sun, don't you? And you think, below all that cloud is the rest of London and England in miserable weather. But I'm looking out of my little porthole, and I have to pull the thing down because the sun's so bright. See, it's a sense of perspective, isn't it? I'm telling you, whatever is taking place in history, whatever is taking place in your story, God has not dimmed his light one little bit. God has not turned off his heat one little bit. I mean, do you think that when it's cloudy, the physical sun says to itself, oh, it's cloudy, cloudy down there, um, uh, we'll go on economy and turns down its heat. Oh, oh, it's cloudy down there, not all my brightness is getting through, so I'll, I'll switch the dimmer switch on. No, the physical sun is burning as brightly as it's ever burnt and is, 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 is sending its warmth as brightly. It doesn't change just because some clouds come over Great Britain. It might seem like that or appear like that, but the sun is shining as brightly and God is shining as brightly. Sometimes we've got to get in the Word. Sometimes we've got to climb up on the airplane wings of prayer and get through those clouds that are in our life and begin to see, though it's cloudy, God is shining. He hasn't stopped working. In fact, he's working as much in this evil time as he is in the time of prosperity. You're wondering where God is with all these terrorist attacks? He hasn't changed. People change. History change. Nations change. But God never changed. He is at work for his glory. He is at work for his good and he can use the greatest evil to bring about the greatest ultimate good. We've got to lift our faith. We've got to widen our horizons. We've got to understand that the most wicked act that ever took place on earth was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ himself. Yet God took that wicked act and turned it into the greatest act of God's goodness, the salvation for all that believe. Let me give you an illustration and read from Corrie Ten Boom. You may have heard of her. She was put in a concentration camp with her sister because they were helping the Jews. And she is speaking now about a situation that she was in and her, uh, where, where, where her sister was about to die. They're in a concentration camp. And this is Corrie Ten Boom. Often I've heard people say how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather, but God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there. Everything around us was dark and there was darkness in my heart. I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corrie, said Betsy, he has not forgotten us. Remember his word. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Corrie concludes, there is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God grant that you never doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstances. 
Often one of these clouds that comes into our lives is the cloud of injustice. That cloud appears and we seem to say, God, it's not fair. Child was only a few years old when she got that disease and died. God, it's not fair. These are real issues in real people's lives. It's not fair. Well, God is just all the time, as he is good all the time, because you can't be good unless you're also just. Genesis 18, 25. Shall not the judge of all earth do what is right? 1 Peter 2, verse 21. As Jesus went through his, his, his difficult time, he trusted in the ultimate justice of God that one day... God would put things right. 1 Peter 2.21 For to, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, listen, but continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. You know, sometimes we do see the end of the trial on this earth. Sometimes, like Job, we get to see the victory. Sometimes there are trials that we go through that we never see the ultimate victory this side of eternity. But don't be so connected to this world and this life. This world and your life in it is just a mist. It's going to pass very, very soon. But eternity lasts forever. One of our problems is, is that we are too connected to the clouds of experience. And when those clouds shift, we shift. And we need to get more connected to the God that remains whatever comes into our life. There is no circumstance. There is no persecution. There is no trial that can come into your life that can defeat you because God never changes and one day, one time, he will vindicate his name. Yeah. Revelation 21 is where we're going. It's the last scripture I'm going to do. This is going to happen one day. Then I saw, Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, the fallen earth, had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now listen, here is the sun shining when there is no clouds he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. God is good all the time. Amen. Amen. Let me end. Let me end with the story of Horatio Spafford and the hymn that he wrote. He was a Christian, and in 1871, during the Great Chicago Fire, uh, it ruined him financially. He'd been a successful lawyer and lost everything. He uh, decided that the only course was for him to travel over with his, his wife 
and his four daughters over to Europe. And uh, just as he was about to leave, he booked his tickets on the ship with them. He had to send them on ahead because he still had to work out some of his uh, business dealings. So his family went ahead of him. While the ship crossed, it sank after colliding with another sea vessel. His wife, Anna, survived. His four daughters all died. And she sent him the now famous telegram, Saved Alone. Shortly afterwards, as Spafford travelled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. Maybe we can have them on the uh, uh, monitors. He wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Do you know that song? Let's sing it together. Off you go. Sing the chorus, it is well. should buffet throw, trials should come. Father, we come to you as your children, and we trust you. We know that you work everything to your ultimate good. Not one trial, not one difficulty is without your purpose. Teach us to be strong in these things, Lord. Father, I pray for those that are here today. You said that all things work to good for those that love you. Lord, 
if there be on anybody here today, anybody that has come to this place and they are far from you, they haven't yet received the greatest light of all, forgiveness of sins. They're yet to make a commitment to follow you as a Christian. I pray for you today. The greatest thing that you can do is to respond to the fact that Jesus died for you. On the cross, he took every cloud of sin. He took every cloud of sickness and pain and destruction and judgment. And he let it rain on him and he experienced and shed his blood that you might be free from sin and its consequences. The only way to know that when you die, you will not die in your sins under the wrath of God, but rather that you will die as a child going into your father's arm, is to accept that Jesus died instead of you. All you have to do is believe in your heart. It's a free gift. Believe in your heart that Jesus died for you and rose again. If you believe that in your heart today, I can pronounce by the authority of God's word, forgiveness of sins and God's shining light of eternal grace on your life. With every head bowed, if you're ready or you, you need to make sure and come to that assurance, yes, I believe that Jesus died for me, then I want to pray for you so that you go out knowing, knowing that your destiny is set. Lift your hand right where you are and I will pray for you to receive the forgiveness of sins. Downstairs, upstairs, overflow internet, lift your hand. Not praying for anybody that doesn't lift their hand. Because Jesus lifted his naked body on a cross to be battered that you would have an option to be saved. So if you want that, you want to go away knowing your sins are forgiven. It's the greatest opportunity of your life. Lift your hand right now and I'll pray for you. Keep those hands lifted as I pray. Upstairs in the balcony, lift that hand right now. It's the greatest opportunity, the greatest sacrifice for the greatest gift of eternal life. Anybody else? Lift your hand. Father, downstairs in the balcony, downstairs in the low hall, on the internet, you can respond by just saying, in that box, under the screen, I believe in you, Jesus. And that act, we will follow up with you. Father, we pray for those that have responded. We thank you that you have forgiven their sins by faith in your shed blood. We pray also, Lord, for our lives. As we come to you, make us strong in these times, Lord. Make us strong knowing that nothing happens except by your purpose so that we can trust you. We don't want to be fair-weather Christians. We want to be anchored in you and your word. We want to be strong, courageous, steadfast. We, we, want, to, we want to be able to walk through this world untouched. We want to be like those that built their house on rock and not on sand. Those that built their house on sand and those that built their house on rock experienced the same storm. But with those that didn't trust in your goodness, it wrecked their household. But to those that were strong in your word and prepared them in your word and understood that you were good all the time, the storm, though it beat, barely touched them. May we be those that are barely touched by the beating of Satan's power. In Jesus' name. We pray, amen.